Coming up this hour, we're going to learn from Stephen Colbert and how he copes with grief. Also, the sales of one particular product are way up since this quarantine began. That and more is coming up on The Common Good. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, you can do that on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles and you can send us messages if you have ideas or suggestions or anything like that. And you can also go to 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get podcasts. If you are a podcaster, thank you so much. If you wouldn't mind liking, subscribing, reviewing, rating, all of that stuff, whatever's the appropriate vernacular, it all helps. <laughs> And uh, we're so grateful for anyone who can help us get the word out because our hope is that this show would serve you well and um, we don't take this platform lightly at all. So, Brian, before we dive into this first topic here, I'd love to know, you know, as we have been doing, how are you doing? Yeah, doing okay today. Um, You know, beautiful weather always helps. It's still, I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but still that dichotomy I have CNN on behind me on mute and to see the number of deaths and stuff, but still be going about our days as kind of pretty normal kids doing school today, you know, just working, trying to go outside. It's just a weird dichotomy right now that I'm not sure I'll ever get used to. Like you don't ever want to become numb to seeing numbers like 14,000 deaths in the country. Uh, But I'd be honest, it it is a little like it's become a little normal now. And so I I don't know really what to do with that. How about yourself? How are you? Uh, I probably, I mean, it comes in waves, you know, there's like a, there's certainly a, well, there's work to be done and I have, I'm grateful for jobs I can do from home. Um, there, that's presented a lot of other needs, of course, like there's, is a shift for sure. And so we talked about, you know, a number of times the last couple of weeks, how there's this new normal is definitely hard to kind of adjust to. And then right. every once in a while, you're right. Like I'll, I'll turn on the news or I'll open up Twitter and you'll get kind of hit in the face with numbers that I think subconsciously you sort of know are out there and growing. Um, but it can sometimes when you're just sort of nose to the grindstone, you can forget a little bit why we're just doing how yeah. scary it is and how present it is. And, you know, I have a number of friends who work in the medical field and I've been trying to be really intentional about having conversations with them to just remember like the, the brutal reality of what actually is happening. Like the people that are still going in six days a week and the people that are seeing the things that they're seeing. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to hide from those things. Right. And it is helpful for me at the very least for, for whatever reason to hear some of those stories from people that I actually know, because that for me, at least that, that helps um, kind of illuminate, I guess, the depth of what really is going on. So yeah, yeah, I'd say say back and forth. It's different. Yeah. What are you hearing back at all? If anything from, uh, from your hometown in Michigan, that's kind of turned into a hotspot as of the last week or two. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's as scary as the news is. is it? It sound, yeah, oh. for sure. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the show too, about some of the, um, some of the racial disparities between yeah. some of how this is playing out and some speculation as to why that might be. But I, I wanted to share a, a short clip. It's an interview with Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper from a few years ago where he's talking about grief though. And I think we even, might have talked about this on the show last year sometime, but it it's just a really interesting, uh, timely perspective on how to actually walk through grief. And I think Stephen Colbert has some wisdom. So uh, let's take a listen to that and then we'll react. And from what I read and, and experience of, of my particular faith, extremely imperfectly, admittedly, is that um, 
there isn't another timeline, mm. and this is it, and the bravest thing you can do is to uh, accept with gratitude the world as it is, and then, you know, as Gandalf says, so do, so do all people who, uh, who are in such times. You told an interviewer uh, that you have learned to, in your words, love the thing that I most wish had not happened. Um, I remember you went on. To, you went on to say, uh, "What what punishments of God are not gifts?" Do you really believe that? Yes. It's a gift to exist. It's a gift to exist, and with existence comes suffering. There's no escaping that. And I guess I'm either a Catholic or a Buddhist when I say those <laughs> things because I've heard those from from uh-huh. both traditions. But I didn't learn it that I was grateful for the thing I most wish hadn't happened, is that I realized it. Mm-hmm. Is that, and it's, a, it's an odd, oddly guilty feeling. It, it doesn't mean you I don't are happy. Want, I don't want it to have happened. I want it to not have happened. Right. But if you are grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do, um, <laughs> Not everybody is, and I'm not always, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the most positive thing to do. Then you have to be grateful for all of it. You can't pick Mm -hmm. and choose what you're grateful for. And then, so what do you get from loss? You get awareness of other people's loss. Well, that's true. Which allows you to connect with that other person, which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being, if it's true that all humans suffer. All right, Brian, so you've heard that before. Right, um, but how does how does it strike you now in light of current news? Yeah, it's almost a little bit uh, prophetic, right? Like because he was talking about pain in his own life. This was well before uh, the coronavirus and all that's gone on in our nation. Uh, I, I really appreciate the way he's like, you know, if you were grateful for your life, then you have to be grateful for all of it. That loss uh, helps you understand other people's loss, and it's to even be. You know, it's really kind of existential, but to to exist is to also take suffering like that's part of our existence. And so I remember when we did this back, I believe, at the end of the summer when he first did this interview being like kind of, wow, that's really poignant. That's really um, uh, deep. Uh, But now in light of all that we're going through, I think it's uh, it's really uh, something to listen to again. What what do you think about his statement uh, regarding punishments of God as gifts? Yeah, you know, uh, I I don't know. Uh, on the one hand, I don't want to look at the coronavirus. You know, you know, I've been very careful over the last couple of weeks to be like, this isn't like a, we don't believe just this punishment from God, but more, you know, we live in a broken world where this is coming from. I think the gift in it is that God is still present and God is still at work in the midst of this brokenness. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, uh, the fact that God has not abandoned us and that God is still at work and that we can hold on to him and go to him for hope, I think is a great gift. How do you process that? It's, it's really a concept my wife and I were just talking about last night, this whole concept of people trying to say God's doing this to us. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say it again. I don't think God is doing it to us. Right. Um, but like I, I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, First John four eighteen, right? Which says there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. I think that what John's talking about here has more to do with like an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. But I see what Colbert is saying, 
especially with regards to like pain shapes us. And I, yeah. and I absolutely believe that when we allow pain to actually carve out space in our hearts, that makes us that much more equipped to love other people going forward. I, I really do believe that sometimes the most painful part of our story is the most life-giving part to someone else's and yeah. to not waste our pain or to not waste our suffering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for some reason I get a little hung up on that idea that like, yeah, well, this is the punishment of God and I'm grateful just to be alive. There's a, right. there's a little bit, and that's probably a theological nuance that we could spend a lot of time on, but I do wholeheartedly believe that God can and does redeem all things and yes. restore all things and brings good from tragedy. And that even in the midst of unthinkable brokenness, God's still pursuing us and he's still forming us and he's still shaping us and he's still calling us. I think all of that's still happening. And I really appreciate I mean, because Colbert's loss is something that very few of us have ever actually had to experience. Like that's a level and depth that, you know, praise God that you and I haven't really had to ever walk through. But now in this season, a lot of people will. And that's kind of why I wanted to share it. You know, it's not current. It's not, he's not talking about this particular moment. Um, but I think it was, I just thought it was timely then. And yeah. I think it's timely now. And I, that's to me that's the sign of good wisdom, something that you can listen to a year later, two years later and go, yeah, yeah, that, that still actually really matters. That's still really true. And I'm, I'm grateful for that wisdom. Well, coming up next, uh, in light of all this quarantining, the sales of one particular item has skyrocketed and Brian Fromm and I are going to talk about that coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us if you want to, and I can mostly encourage you to do so on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us messages if you have ideas or topics or angles or even somebody you think would be great for an interview. Uh, People have free time on their hands, and we might really want to interview them. So you can do all that there. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash Good. And wherever it is you get podcasts, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that does magically, mysteriously actually help us out. I have no idea how, but I'm told that it does. And uh, before we talk about this one particular product that has skyrocketed in sales since the quarantine has happened for all of us, Brian Fromm has a word he'd like to share with you all. Yeah, that's right. You know, here at the station, we have a relationship with Half Price Schools. Uh, And with your kids doing school from home for the foreseeable future, you've probably never paid more attention to what they're learning or how they're learning than you are right now. So you might be concerned with what you're seeing. And if you're starting to rethink your options for school this fall, then you need to take a look at halfpriceschools.com. You can send your child to a private Christian school at half the regular price, thanks to halfpriceschools.com. So at halfpriceschools.com, you can find local private Christian schools from all over Chicagoland that are offering vouchers for a full year of tuition at half the price with no catch. Find a school near you, purchase the tuition voucher, and prepare to send your child off to school this fall. It's that simple. Halfpriceschools.com has schools located all across the Chicagoland, including Westminster Christian School in Elgin, Chicago Hope Academy in Chicago, and Christian Liberty Academy in Arlington Heights. So make private Christian school available for your family for the first time this year. These vouchers, though, they're going to sell out. So visit halfpriceschools.com today. That's halfpriceschools.com. How many times did you just say halfpriceschools.com? It felt like there was a lot in there. <laughs> more, more than seven, do you think? Uh, maybe in the next break, I'm going to go through and count them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure the audience really, really is chomping at the bit. Uh, all right, so 
before I uh, unveil, you've already read it, but uh, sales of this particular item increased 55% in one week amid coronavirus pandemic. If you're listening and you haven't seen the article posted on our Facebook page, I'm just going to pause and let you guess what that is. What has risen in sales in the United States by 15, oh, by 15, by 55% in just one week amid coronavirus pandemic? Brian, if you didn't already know, what would you have guessed? Toilet paper. Or you would have guessed toilet paper. All right. That's a good guess. Maybe I would have also gone the food route and maybe guessed something like ice cream. I would have gone like a dessert okay. route, I think. How about before you saw, saw the article, what would have come to mind for you? Maybe hand sanitizer. Hand oh, sanitizer increases 55% in one week amid coronavirus pandemic. The answer, of course, alcohol. Alcohol sales increase 55% in one week amid coronavirus pandemic. What is going on with this article? Well, I'm sure it's just to clean your hands. I mean, I'm sure it's that alcohol we're right. talking about. Right, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, it's just that uh, people uh, locked in their homes. Uh, so part of this could be because you can't buy alcohol out. So maybe people who are, you know, going to the bars or whatever. But more than that, I think people are locked in their homes. And, uh, you know, it, it rises the uh, the desire maybe for some things that could be considered vices. And so... Uh, you know, this is a time for people where they're probably uh, drinking more alcohol in the home to de-stress from not only stress of what's going on around us, but around the kids and uh, not drinking around the kids, but stress from the kids. And uh, and so I wonder, did this surprise you when you read this or did you think this number was high? What did you think? Nah, it didn't surprise me. I'd be curious to know, like you were saying, like how much does is that just simply transference from what people would be spending out at bars uh, but here's some of the uh, hard stats. Hard liquors, including tequila and gin, as well as cocktails, are the favorites among consumers. Spirit sales increased by 75% compared to the same dates in 2019. Beer is the next most popular drink, with the purchases up by 66%, then wine up to 42% year-on-year. Nielsen's vice president of beverage alcohol, Daniel Danielle Cosmo, predicted that we've probably seen the peak of consumer demand for alcohol. I suspect that the week... Ending March 21st will feature the strongest growth rates that we will be seeing during the consumer pantry loading time, he told business, uh, told the drinks business. So I, I'm curious, um, as a pastor then, where, where does this information lead you to think? Because it is, and I'm not looking to pit one vice against the next, right. Right. nor am I really even looking to solve any kind of problem because I think for a lot of us, we're just simply coping. Like I know some people have been saying, man, I've been running more than I've ever run before. Like I'm getting real fit. And I'm like, okay, we can't be friends anymore. But there, <laughs> there's, there's a, everyone is coping in different ways. Somebody is binging something on Netflix, <coughs> Tiger King, or they're, <laughs> you know, they're dealing with it in other ways. Um, when you read this, does it concern you? Does it show you something about the human condition? Does it make you think as a pastor and a father and a husband? What does what this information do to you? So I don't think it necessarily in and of itself concerns me because like you said, part of that article was, you know, right off the bat, people were stocking up. People were stocking up on toilet paper or whatever else it might be. Uh, there is something I do think we need to acknowledge that um, being stuck at home, being probably more stressed than normal uh, does lead 
to, in a lot of people, can lead to some destructive behaviors. And so, again, I'm not saying that that's what this article is necessarily saying. Um, but there was another article I read this week about, and this probably doesn't come as a surprise, but uh, about the increased use of uh, pornography statistics online since the lockdown has begun. Uh, mm. So things like that where people have more uh, not only time on their hands, but also, you know, more worries. And so I do think that pastorally or just in general, I do think we have to be honest that um, that maybe some people, some of the safeguards that they had around certain vices or certain temptations, uh, some of those safeguards might be gone and uh, that a coping mechanism is not always positive. So sometimes it's destructive, whether it be pornography, alcohol, overeating, whatever else it might be. Um, and, and so I do think that uh, while I don't think this article raises this huge red flag, like everyone's becoming alcoholics because of the coronavirus, uh, I do think there are some things behind the stats that that could be of a concern that are worth talking about and worth checking in on people who you believe uh, might struggle in these type of ways. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think that's I mean, a lot of those would be the same types of uh, pieces of advice I would give in any time. But I think that's we're in a season right now where people's tendencies toward whatever their vice might be are probably heightened unless their vice is standing in crowds or, you know, <laughs> Hugging. Like that, that, yeah, that will be a vice that will be hard to accomplish and pray for those people because they might be going through some kind of hug withdrawal, but it is interesting to me because it's like, like you were saying, um, I read somewhere else that like, Domestic abuse is at an all-time high right now. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Sex trafficking is at an all-time high right now. Like there are other things oh, really? that quarantining. Oh yeah, has led people to some pretty dark places. Um, but at the very least, maybe maybe we'll end the segment this way. Just be mindful mm-hmm. of what it is that you're taking in and what's forming you. Right. Like nothing, even what technology, social media, entertainment. None of these things are evil in and of themselves. But it's all shaping us, and it's all building into some kind of rhythm in our heart and our body and our soul. So just be mindful of the patterns that you're falling into. And because I think like you were saying a couple of weeks ago, you know, the adrenaline has worn off a little bit. And so we're now living into a very real rhythm of what it means right now in this moment. Yes. And I think being mindful of what it is that we're doing and not doing saying and not saying uh, all those things are really, really important considerations all the time, but even more so when uh, when we're in the midst of a quarantine situation. I think that's well put. Uh, coming up next, uh, I found this list to be absolutely fascinating. It's 25 mental health wellness tips for quarantine. It kind of blew up on Facebook, went sort of viral. And I think I just think this list is really helpful. So uh, if you're the note-taking type coming up next, here are 25 mental health wellness tips for quarantine. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can have a conversation with us and with other listeners. It's been really cool just to see the dialogue that's taking place there. You can also send us suggestions for the show. You can find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Plus, we're podcasted. Some of you are so tired of hearing me say that. But it's true. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, All that really does help us out a whole lot. And I I mentioned just a little bit ago, I found these 25 tips for mental health wellness during quarantine. Before we dive into that real quick, a word about Thriving Financial. I'm a big fan. I've been a member for almost a decade. 
It's a Fortune 500 non for profit. They've been around a century. Great company just in general, if you're curious. But also, if you're looking for a career change, you can go to thrivent.com slash careers, thrivent.com slash careers, or just call 630-598-2128. This might be a great opportunity for you to change careers or at least dip a toe in the waters if you're entrepreneurial or you've always wanted to be your own boss or you just like helping people. Uh, Thrivent is a company, an organization that I've admired for a long, long time. And so you might want to give them a call, 630-598-2128. Okay, so here's the post. I'll set it up, and then we're just going to fly through these 25 because they're all really good. But if you're a note-taking type, you you might want to write these down. We posted the link uh, on our Facebook page. You can re-listen on the podcast. It says, uh, from a psychologist, after having 31 sessions this week with patients where the singular focus was COVID-19 and how to cope, I decided to consolidate my advice and make a list that I hope is helpful to all. I can't control a lot of what is going on right now, but I can contribute this. And then this person gives her uh, credentials. So it's not just somebody randomly like, hey, these would be good. So these are 25 mental health and wellness tips for quarantine. Why don't we just back and forth the list? and Whatever time we have left, uh, we'll respond. Yep. Number one. Uh, these are, as you said, mental health wellness tips for quarantine. Number one, stick to a routine, go to sleep and wake up at a reasonable time, write a schedule that is varied and includes time for work as well as self-care. So stick to a routine. Number two, dress for the social life you want, not the social life you have. <laughs> Get showered and dressed in comfortable clothes, wash your face, brush your teeth, take the time to do a bath or a facial. I'm not going to do that one. Put on some bright <laughs> colors. It's amazing how our dress can impact our mood. That's a good yep. one. That's good. Number three, get out at least once a day for at least 30 minutes. If you're concerned of contact, try first thing in the morning or later in the evening or try the less traveled streets and avenues. If you're high risk or living with those who are high risk, open the windows and blast the fan. It's amazing how much fresh air can do for the spirit. Number four, find some time to move each day again daily for at least 30 minutes. If you don't feel comfortable going outside, there are many YouTube videos that offer free movement classes. And if all else fails, turn on the music and have a dance party. I have a two and one year old. We're doing that every night. Lots of dance parties in the same A lot of dance parties. Number five, reach out to others. You guessed it at least once daily for 30 minutes. Try to do FaceTime, Skype, phone calls, texting, Connect with other people to seek and provide support. Don't forget to do this for your children as well. Set up virtual playdates with friends daily via FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, kids, Zoom, etc. Your kids miss their friends too. That's good, man. Number six, stay hydrated and eat well. This one may seem obvious, but stress uh, and eating often don't mix well, and we find ourselves overindulging, forgetting to eat, and avoiding food. Drink plenty of water, eat some good and nutritious food, and challenge yourself to learn how to cook something new. Number seven, develop a self-care toolkit. Uh, This looks different for everyone. A lot of successful self-care strategies involve a sensory sensory component. Uh, Seven senses like touch, taste, sight, hearing, smell, movement, and comforting pressure. An idea for each, a soft blanket or a stuffed animal, a hot chocolate, photos of vacations, a journal, an inspirational book. Uh, And they keep listing a bunch and bunch. And for children, it's great to help them create a self-regulation comfort box, often a shoebox or a bin they can decorate that they can use on the ready for first aid when overwhelmed. That's way more prepared than I am. Uh, Number eight, spend extra time playing with children. Children will rarely communicate how they're feeling, but will often make a bid for attention and communication through play. Don't be surprised to see therapeutic themes of illness, 
Dr. Visits and Isolation play through. Um, Understand that play is cathartic and helpful for children. It's how they process their world and problem solve. And there's a lot they are seeing and experiencing right now. Number nine, give everyone the benefit of the doubt in a wide berth. A lot of cooped up time can bring out the worst in everyone. Each person will have moments when they will not be at their best. It's important to move with grace through blowups, to not show up to every argument you're invited to, and to not hold grudges and continue disagreements. Everyone is doing the best they can to make it through this. Number 10, everyone find their own retreat space. Space is at a premium, particularly with city living. It's important that people think through their own separate space for work. And for relaxation for children, help them identify a place where they can go to retreat when stressed. You can make this place cozy by using blankets, pillows, cushions, scarves, beanbags, and the like. It's good to know that even when we are uh, on top of each other, we have our own special place to go to be alone. That's a really good one. Number 11, uh, these are ways to co- the mental health ways to cope to, with a quarantine. Uh, number 11, expect behavioral issues in children and respond gently. We're all struggling with disruption and routine, none more than children who rely on routines constructed by others to make them feel safe and to know what comes next. Expect increased anxiety, worries and fears, nightmares, difficulty separating or sleeping, testing limits and meltdowns. Do not introduce major behavioral plans or consequences at this time. Hold stable and focus on emotional connection. Okay, just real quick. I'm going to read the first line of the rest of them. Okay. Just so we can actually say them. Uh, but then I want to actually, if we have any time, kind of unpack the rest of them. So 12, focus on safety and attachment. 13, lower expectations and practice radical self-acceptance. 14, limit social media and COVID conversation, especially around children. Mm. Number 15, notice the good in the world, the helpers. That's a nod to Fred Rogers. Number 16, help others. Find ways big and small to give back. Number 17, find something you can control and control the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. Number 18, find a long-term project to dive into. That's a great idea. 19, engage in repetitive movements and left-right movements. Number 20, find an expressive art and go for it. 21, find lightness and humor in each day. No problem there. Mm-hmm. Number 22, reach out for help. Your team is there for you. Number th- 23, chunk your quarantine. Take it moment by moment. Number 24, remind yourself daily that this is temporary. Number, number 25, find the lesson. This whole crisis can seem sad, senseless, and at times avoidable. So I'd be curious, you know, even just with that quick flyover there, which of these do you feel like you're crushing right now and which do you really feel like you need to improve in? Uh, I think the one I need to improve in, I, I, it jumped out to me. Two of them back to back, 13 and 14, lower expectations and practice radical self-acceptance. Like we've mm-hmm. never done this before. Right. And so I'm constantly asking myself, what exactly am I supposed to be doing right now? And looking at what other people are doing and my expectations, constantly feeling like I'm not doing enough. Like that one's really helpful. And then right after it, number 14, li- limit social media and COVID conversation, especially around children. There's so much out there that's terrifying uh, that I have found myself just needing to put the phone away at very specific right. times during the day and be done with it. So those two uh, jumped out to me. Yeah. I think for me, surprisingly, like I haven't, I haven't been doing like the food and water thing very well. Like I mm. totally, even just like reading it, I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I'm like looking at an empty water glass next to me right now. Like, wow, I've just kind of hunkered down and you know, this is not a new hurdle for me in general, but the uh, like remembering, Hey, you need to go eat dummy. Like go drink. <laughs> Uh, I just think that's 
that's such a simple one to overlook, but it's really helpful. Either way, we obviously weren't able to get to all of it, but uh, I highly encourage you go to our Facebook page, the common good radio show, read all 25 of those. They're really helpful. And if you would add any, or you have a problem with any of them, uh, let us know. We'd love to know what you think of that list because like Brian said, this is new for all of us. So we're all trying to figure it out together. Uh, Coming up next, Chicago launches health campaign as rate of deaths and illness among black residents alarmed cities. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And uh, I can speak for Brian. I think we're both going stir crazy. So if you bit. feel this show is getting increasingly weird, uh, <laughs> it, probably, it probably is. But you know what would really help it be less weird is to go to the Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, mm-hmm. Give us your thoughts. You can send a message there. You can find us at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And before we dive into this next topic, particularly about how this illness is affecting black residents and black communities specifically, uh, Brian Fromm has a couple of words he'd like to share with you. Yeah, something we've been sharing over the last week or so is something we're doing here at the radio station that during the coronavirus pandemic, We do know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we also know that there are still many businesses trying to make it. You're still open. You're serving the public as best you can. Uh, If you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for for business. That's all one word. 1160hope.com slash open open for business, fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all that information and sharing it with our listeners. So here's the best part. It's totally free. We're wanting to do that. This for you, our listener, there's no catch to it. So if you're a business owner, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Way to go, Brian. Thank you. Um, good all right. So read that one. We've mentioned it before. We have a, uh, a common good think tank, which is uh, just some friends that come from all sorts of different backgrounds, live in different parts of the country. They have very um, often differing opinions and expertise and insight. And so every once in a while, I'll just sort of post in there and say, hey, what do, what do you guys think we should be talking about? Or what should we be tackling? You know, this is sort of a way for even Brian and I to think through how do we keep from repeating echo chambers and our own confirmation right. bias? Um, so a couple of friends uh, posted a few different articles. One of them is uh, Chris Britton. Another is uh, Isaiah McAleese and Amy Plummer. They shared a couple of articles all around the same idea. And the one that I shared earlier simply reads, Chicago launches health campaign as rate of deaths and illness among black residents alarmed cities. The other one says, early data shows African-Americans have contracted and died of coronavirus at an alarming rate. So what, what is going on here? Oh, a lot, man. Uh, I've, uh, I have to admit that uh, I didn't really know this until like the last day or two as this has been on the news, but also as you shared these articles. Uh, it's basically this is that now that the coronavirus, now that there's a lot more data, unfortunately, around sickness and around death, uh, yeah. it appears, uh, not appears, it's becoming clear uh, that African Americans are dying at a disproportionate rate compared comparatively to, um, you know, population percentages. So, you know, if the African American community is X percent of a of a city, uh, the percentage of death amongst the, that are African American are a lot higher. Uh, and uh, the ProPublica article here that you 
posted. It says, no, the coronavirus is not an equalizer. Black people are being infected and dying at higher rates. And it starts, it kind of unpacks what's going on in Milwaukee. But Milwaukee is just one of the cities. And Chicago is one of the cities where they're finding that disparity to be the highest. And so the other article you put that'll be, that is up at our Facebook page is about Chicago launching a health campaign uh, as the rate of death and illness among black residents alarms the city. Uh, and so there's so much to unpack here. I even told you off air as we were preparing for this, I said, man, this is really heartbreaking and I don't know what to do with it. Like, I don't know yeah. even how to process it and wrestle with it, but at the very least, it's really, uh, really heartbreaking statistics that are coming out. Yeah, at the end of the other, the other article I sent you, uh, Reverend Marshall Hatch, who's a pastor of a Baptist church on Chicago's west side, said that he wanted to offer a human face to the maps and charts surrounding him at Monday's news conference. Within the last week, Hatch said he lost his older sister, a friend of 45 years, and a parishioner mm. the complications of COVID-19. And then here's how the whole article is. This is a quote from Reverend Marshall Hatch. He says, poverty is not just about quality of life. It's about literally life and death. And I think that there's... There's a, an intensity because earlier in the article, it says black residents accounted for 72% of deaths from COVID-19 complications in the city and 52% of positive tests for the coronavirus, despite making up only 30% of the city's population, according to the city's public health agency. That's right here in Chicago. Right. Um, obviously, neither of us are doctors or statisticians, no. but what would you guess are maybe some of the reasons for some of that data? Uh, they get into it uh, in the, I believe it's the ProPublica one, because another stat, like your home state of Michigan, the state's population is 14% black. Uh, African-Americans made up 35% of the COVID-19 cases and 40% of the deaths as of Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has to do, uh, and I'm you know not a sociologist here, so I'm reading what they put here. Uh, the rates of poverty are higher in the African-American community uh, nationwide. And we're seeing in some other articles that we might tackle later in the show uh, that that areas of poverty tend to have greater underlying health issues and also mm-hmm. uh, tend to not be able to quarantine as easily um, because of the nature of jobs. Like you and I have jobs that we can do from our houses. That's not true for everybody's jobs. And so right, uh, the, right. These are things we don't like to look at, right? Like, even as I read them, I was like, ugh, you know, that's hard. Um, but there's, there's got to be underlying reasons, and part of it uh, is, is poverty, and part of it is uh, the underlying health issues that we know accentuate your likelihood of dying from COVID-19. Um, I, what I most appreciate about you making me read these articles are going, these are probably not things I would have read or really thought about. And I think Mm. we all have to think about these things and even when in the midst of it, but also when this is over, go, okay, uh, some of the racial and economic inequalities of our, uh, of our society are actually causing, um, life and death things to happen. And I think that we really have to wrestle with it as a culture. Do you think any of it has to do with access to healthcare? According to this article, yes, that uh, that it tends to um, that predominantly African-American communities in these cities they're talking about, whether it be Chicago, Milwaukee, Detroit, other places. And again, you can find these in the articles here. Uh, Go check them out at our Facebook page. Uh, But they tend to have worse health care. And there's even in the article of the Chicago one that they're reopening some healthcare facilities in some of these Mm. poor areas. 
And uh, yeah, so I think it has to do with, I think there's, I think it's a big stew, right? I think there's a big stew of reasons that is uh, the ultimate answer that comes out of all of these different factors is a higher mortality rate in the African-American community in these cities than, than, uh, uh, than what is their proportion of the population. Yeah, I, this quote here in the ProPublica one is pretty, uh, pretty convicting from Kamara Jones. It says, COVID is just unmasking the deep disinvestment in our communities, the historical injustices, and the impact of residential segregation. Like, again, to your point, like, these are hard truths, hard realities. And I know that we're all trying to navigate a very, very scary time together. But I think that phrase unmasking is important. I'm wondering what other things may or may not be unmasked in the weeks to come. And, you know, as Christ followers, I'll just say this, you know, the last 30 seconds we have, it's one thing to tweet or post on Facebook that we believe that to be a Christ follower means to be anti-racism, to be anti-bigotry. It's another thing entirely, like you were saying, to take a hard look at some of the systemic things that perpetuate some of what is maybe um, really not at the heart of God. I, I think about, Walter Winks, the powers that be, who talks about, we, we tend to speak of sin in these very individualized cases or evil in these very individualized cases. And that book has really challenged me to look mm. more deeply, more intently, and maybe honestly, more honestly about some of the systemic stuff that is easy for you and I, Brian, like you were saying, just like, well, I'm not really an expert in that. So I don't really know how to weigh in or I don't, wanna, I don't know how to interact with it. I think at the very least in a very small way, I want to talk about some of these things because they're really, really important and they're infecting a lot of people. And I believe it's close to the heart of Jesus for us to do that. So coming up next, we're going to unpack that general idea just a little bit more from a different angle. Um, And what does it mean to be a Christ follower in the midst of all of this? That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible— but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about how the ultra-wealthy are dealing with the coronavirus. Plus, we're going to hear from friend and pastor John Armstrong. And finally, some good news. This is The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good, the second half. Thanks for joining us or sticking with us. Uh, If you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you are a podcaster, please, pretty please, with a cherry on top, whatever that means, if you could just subscribe, rate, review, that would help us out a whole lot. And I think, Brian, they can just ask Alexa, is that right, to play the show? I'm pretty sure about that. 
How have you not done I feel, this? I don't I understand. Feel pretty, I feel pretty confident in that assertion that you're making. Will, will we make it out of this quarantine having you <laughs> asked? <laughs> yes, it will happen you're before quarantine is over. You're mandated by the government to be in your house. Before the next time you and I are sitting across from each other, then I will know this. I will know this. All right. Well, you all heard it. So that's a, a promise from Pastor Brian Tom, <laughs> a man of the cloth, making a, a vow, really, a vow. A, vow. To a covenant, a covenant, if you will. Covenant to me and our audience that he himself will ask Alexa. <laughs> no, not Alexa. Is that what you have, Alexa, or do you have Google? I don't even, I should know this by now, shouldn't I? I have Alexa, Yes. Okay, either way, ask Alexa if, if he can play the common good by asking her. Uh, well, okay, so here's one. It's actually three articles, and I mentioned uh, the first half of the hour that um, we have a think tank filled with a, a really great kind of community of friends who will sometimes help us think through segments or ideas. And uh, this particular topic comes from my brother, Sam Simpkins, who is one of the smartest dudes I know. I'm just going to say that. I'm biased because he's my brother and I love him. But uh, he and his family live in Detroit and he's a lawyer and just a really, just huge heart, huge brain, um, thinks about things deeply and uh, so much smarter than I am. But he was talking about this idea of um, the disparity between wealth and poverty and how coronavirus has impacted those different communities in different ways. And he shared three different articles, all of which I think, Uh, a really fascinating and some of them really heart wrenching. Like one says ultra wealthy people are buying out entire hotels for up to $38,000 a day to self isolate in more secluded areas. Um, That's a pretty, that's a pretty odd. It's an odd thing to do by any metrics, but I'm, I'm wondering if any of these three articles that, uh, that he shared with us, do they surprise you? Uh, They don't surprise me. But okay. as we talked about in the last segment, there are articles that I don't like to be confronted with. Is that That's just an sure. honest statement. And so I think they've been good for me to read. Like this New York Times article um, that is uh, titled Location Data. So they literally took location data from cell phones. And it says it all. It says staying at home during coronavirus is a luxury. Uh, mm. And it, it says this, in cities across America, many lower income workers continue to move around while those who make more money are staying home and limiting their exposure to the coronavirus, according to the smartphone location. Uh, Although Mm. people in all income groups are moving less than they did before the crisis, wealthier people are staying home the most, especially during the work week. Not only that, but in in nearly every state, they began doing uh, so days before the poor, giving them a head start on social distancing as the virus spread. The point being this, uh, that... Uh, that though it's what we talked about last segment, man, that they're finding now that we've been in this for a little bit, that those with more have had the ability to work from home, have had the ability to more easily uh, social distance, which is the key to not getting sick. But many people who are hourly workers or uh, who, who just don't have the freedom uh, to go, well, I'm just going to stay home and still get a paycheck because they may not be able to get a paycheck. And so what they're finding is the result of this uh, is that the coronavirus is moving um, more uh, steadily in lower income areas than in the wealthy. Uh, and so the idea that this virus is the great equalizer is not actually pulling out to be true. 
Yeah, and I think this uh, this other article out of Brookings.edu, this one heading kind of hit me in the face. It says, you need money to be a hoarder, uh, mm. which is true, right? The notion that we could go to the grocery store and just buy up a bunch more food for a couple of weeks or for a month um, is legitimately a luxury that not everyone has. It says people with money are likely to find it easier to put distance between themselves and others. You, uh, they can do their work from home. Like you were saying, connect colleagues and friends via zoom and hold online happy hours with their quarantinis. And to be clear, good for them, but they may also be more able to get food and supplies brought to their door and stockpile some necessities. It takes money to hoard. The Gallup data confirms that those with higher incomes are much more likely to say they have, quote, stocked up on food, medical supplies, or cleaning supplies. So this one at Brookings, and this is all on the Facebook page, has a ton of graphs that are actually, for me at the very least, seeing stuff in graph form um, is so helpful. But like yep. you were saying, yep. also really sobering. Like, that's not to say that my wife and I haven't numerous times mentioned how grateful I am, yes. how grateful we yes. are that I can work at home, but it. I, I, I'm so grateful for my brother in this regard that the challenge to think more deeply, not just by, not just simply saying, man, I'm so blessed. Like what a, what a gift, like that's part of it. But also I think the heart and mind of Jesus needs to also say, but what does it mean to be a Christ follower in a time where not everyone can do that? Like I want, I wonder what are the places these articles bring you to? Cause you know, it's easy to say, well, okay. Hotels for 30,000, $38,000 yeah. a day. At least I'm not doing that. But the very fact that you and I are doing this show from our homes shows a certain level of privilege that you and I both know uh, not everyone can do. Like, what does that in your mind do to the the heart of a Christ follower? Yeah, it needs to be uh, something. Man, I I, I love in this article, they they talk about uh, now uh, income, uh, inequality, the rich and the poor, this and that as a public health issue. And I've never thought of it in those terms, but that's what this is showing here. Yeah, um, right. Even stuff as simple, I would have never thought of this, but the Brookings article talks about access to fast internet connection. Like, yes, right. From home, <laughs> like I need a reliable internet connection. Uh, and so again, I think for the Christ follower, um, when we are called, and this doesn't necessarily mean, uh, Anyway, as the Christ follower, like you said, uh, we follow a savior. We follow a Lord who said uh, that our heart is to break for the least of these and for the marginalized. And another thing we're seeing here is that the people on the margins are at the most risk of getting sick. Does it mean that rich people aren't getting this? Absolutely not. Look at the graphs. The the graphs make that very clear. Uh, But the graphs also make it clear uh, that as we have more data, the people on the margins, uh, that it's not just a political issue right now. This is a public health issue. Those on the margins who can't so easily stay home from work or who can't so easily, uh, you know, do X, Y, or Z, work from home, um, they're at greater risk. And that should break our hearts. And again, I think uh, what it does is it raises the bar for us as Christ followers to go, how can we help like, how can we help people on the margins right now? And then I think there's going to be, uh, when we come out of this, some really uh, hard conversations that probably need to be had. Well, let me just read the end of this Brookings article because it's really good. It says, a big question is how policy policymakers can balance the risks and costs of the virus against the costs and risks of a sustained economic downturn. President Trump has expressed hope that America will be open for business again on Easter Sunday. Again, this article is a little late. Um, 
but public health officials are desperately trying to water down that promise. Regardless of the electoral implications, it is not at all clear which business need needs to be shut down in which location for how long in order to prevent the mass death and tremendous strains on hospitals. These are difficult decisions, macro versions of the micro life and death decisions being taken by healthcare workers. If ever there was a time for evidence-based policy uh, founded on good data, this is it. But as policy uh, is being shaped on a daily basis, the impact on Americans with fewer economic means should be at the forefront of our minds. Again, not a Christian article, but to me, um, that's, that sounds like Jesus. That sounds like the kind of thing that as you and I grapple with this, and we've been very honest about this, you know, Brian and I don't come to this show as experts or no. has, have in any, any way figured it all out. Uh, we're coming to a lot of these discussions with the same question marks you are, but we'd love to hear from you. We've posted these articles on our Facebook page. Um, what do we get right? What do we get wrong? What should the response of the church be? We would love to hear from you with regards to some of these really, really important, critical questions. Yeah. yeah. Coming up next, John Armstrong, a, a friend of the show and a, a mentor of mine, uh, shared some thoughts specifically about what it looks like to be a Christ follower in these times. And I'm really excited for you all to hear his wisdom. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm and we are getting stir crazy, so thanks for bearing with us. It is a real privilege and honor to keep doing this show. We do not take that privilege lightly and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can also send us messages if you have ideas or topics or conversations or you have a disagreement. We'd love to have that be a place of dialogue. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And uh, I'm really excited for you all to hear from Dr. John Armstrong. He is somebody who, and I use the word mentor specifically. He really has been like a mentor to me here in Illinois. He's someone that's come alongside me. He's been really kind of patient and loving with me, but he also has an incredible story. He, uh, he founded what was called Act 3. It's now called The Initiative. It is this beautiful like ecumenical movement of helping build bridges between uh, Catholics and Protestants and people of different denominations. He's kind of dedicated his life to that. And uh, I've had him on the show before when Brian was gone, just a really, really wonderful soul with tons of wisdom to someone I appreciate a lot. So we asked if he would share just a couple of minutes of thoughts um, with regards to everything else that's going on. It's something we're trying to do uh, consistently with the show is just give space and voice for other people to kind of weigh in and speak to the common good audience. So uh, here's about three minutes of Dr. John Armstrong uh, sharing some of his heart, and then Brian and I will respond. Clearly, we are living through difficult and trying times. Only days ago had we first heard the word COVID-19. It has now become a part of our lectionary. We hear it almost hourly. But a question many Christians are asking now online and in sermons and elsewhere is this. Did God send COVID-19? Does he have a divine purpose in sending according to his sovereign plan this virus that has caused so much death and suffering? The answer of many Christians And in fact, many American Christians down through the ages since the Puritans landed on our shores has been, of course, God sent this because he's sovereign. 
He sends judgment just as He brings mercy. He judges our sin both nationally and personally. And so they reason He's now judging us. And they'll even go so far as to say they know what He's judging us for and point to particular positions or ideas or practices and say, this is where we cross the line and this is why God has done this. I would like to suggest to you that nothing could be further from the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus, who said after healing a man which disturbed the Pharisees because it violated their understanding of the Sabbath, Jesus, who said in John five seventeen, My Father is always at His work to this very day. And I too, said Jesus, am working. The question for us really in this era of COVID-19 is this. What does it mean to trust a loving God in the midst of a pandemic? A God who is always at work for us and for our best. Pope Francis said on Palm Sunday in his sermon to a virtually empty cathedral, What really matters is loving God and loving others. You see, the suffering Christ is the one who died on Good Friday, and he died looking to the heavens and around him saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus forsaken reveals the love of the Savior, the purpose of the Father to love and to give his Son for the salvation of the whole world. We're reached by this love when we turn to Jesus Christ in the midst of any suffering. Suffering is not God's purpose. God's purpose is salvation, redemption, reconciliation, and the experience of His loving gift of Jesus, His Son. May we come to Him and become, as Pope Francis said, true heroes who are servants of God, who love God and who love our neighbors and display the heart of God in the midst of a pandemic. All right, Brian. So having heard that now, uh, what stood out to you? What did you find challenging? What did you find encouraging? Oh, that challenging question that I think we all, if we all are wrestling with, and we, if not, that we need to wrestle with when he asks, what does it mean to trust a loving God in the midst of a pandemic? Uh, mm. That feels at the heart of what so many of us are asking, right? Like, how can we trust loving God? And this is where theology becomes important about what do we believe about God? And uh, when he went on to say our Savior suffered and died uh, his purpose is salvation, not suffering, and therefore display the heart of God in the midst of the pandemic uh, is so helpful. Like, I, I appreciate people who are wanting to tackle the hard questions. Um, right. Because a lot of us, we sugarcoat what's going on around us, and there's nothing that's uh, about what's going on that should be sugarcoated. And so to ask the question that a lot of people are asking, what's it mean to trust a loving God in the midst of all of this, I think is uh, courageous and gets at the heart of what a lot of us are wrestling with. Well, especially, you know, I mean, today is, um, is an important day. I mean, we're in the midst of Holy Week, right? There's a, there's a lot as we look to Monday, Thursday, and then right. Friday. And, and part of what he was talking to about, like the call to love God and love others, that's something that, you know, especially as pastors can almost become, you know, rote. Like we're just yeah. used to saying that. And I think something about a pandemic, a global crisis, is it does sort of reveal, or to use a word from earlier in the show, unmask, how much do we really believe that? Like, how much mm-hmm. do we actually believe that at the core of this whole thing for us is loving God and loving others? Um, and I don't say that in any way to chastise anybody, but I think it's an important question to, to grapple with. 
would, would my, would someone look at my life and the way that I've behaved or lived or spent the last two or three weeks say that, man, that person's highest priorities are loving God and loving others, you know? Absolutely. And, and I, and it's the other thing that I appreciate so much about John because John's not Catholic, but as a deep love uh, for Catholics, for Pope Francis, you know, to sort of reference him, um, to talk about a God who suffers, you know, like I think suffering is such an important topic right now. It's a thing that historically the Western church, I don't know, has done a great job giving space to articulate. And I, I just think, remembering in the midst of all the craziness, the heart of God and his love for us. And then the invitation for us to be a people who are carrying out the love and work of God in the world. Yeah. It's going to look different for a while and maybe a long while. And a lot of us are thinking that through, but I just think his wisdom as someone who has, you know, lived this out, he's walked the talk for decades um, just strikes close to home. And I think it's really timely. Yeah, and and I've written it from Pope Francis down uh, down through to say what really matters, like you said, is loving God and loving others. There's no shortage of opportunities to love others right now. <laughs> There's right. uh, no shortage of opportunity to put our trust in God when things aren't necessarily going well, and and uh, uh, to love Him and trust Him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And so, in many ways, the greatest commandment now is really kind of put to the test. Um, yeah. You know, in and how is the church, uh, how are we as Christ followers as individuals, but how is the church uh, going to do in living out what we have essentially been called to live out? Love God and love neighbor, uh, because the the uh, it's not easy right now, but the opportunities are all around us. Yeah, and I think that that's easy to miss because a lot of times when it comes to opportunities, it's something that we assume we need to be staring in the face, right? Like an opportunity yeah. is a thing that we see while we're out living our lives. And I think what I've been really convicted by is that these opportunities now require a level of intentionality that maybe some of us haven't had before. And if I could just brag again, you know, if you go to communitychristian.org slash cares, you'll see not only how we've mobilized a dozen different teams, identifying the biggest 12 needs in our community, but it's also a place if you're listening, you're thinking I have a need, uh, you can go and click that and say, man, could, could you provide some help? And I just think John, again, I know him personally. So there's like an honesty to what he says. Like I believe him when he says the stuff that he says, but uh, if you're interested though, he's also a brilliant speaker, a brilliant author. You can go to johnarmstrong.com. That's johnarmstrong.com or theinitiative.org uh, to learn more about him, his ministry and his work and the stuff that he's done. And just to say it, John, if you're listening, so grateful for you and for your wisdom and for your passion for people and the gospel. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's shaped me in ways that uh, I don't even really know how to count. So yeah, really uh, coming up next, though, it's a segment we haven't done in a while. It's called Some Good News. We know that there's a lot of sad news and scary news in the world. And uh, Brian and I are just going to rattle off some good news that we found in the world. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. Howdy, 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 everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And uh, my name is Ian. My friend over there doing whatever he's doing is Brian. That's me. And yep. That's you recording in his bedroom, he told us yesterday, by the way. I am. Um, I am. Not on my bed. I'm just looking out the window. It's, it's a nice setup I've got here. Nessie, I don't buy that. I'm, I'm assuming you're like lounging on your bed with the, like a rose in your mouth. And a robe a on. <laughs> yeah, right. That's sort of how I, 
that's how I assume that you're uh, doing this show every day. And don't tell me if I'm wrong. I don't even want to know. Nope. Run but, with your uh, questions, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> if you would like to tell us that comments like that and others are inappropriate, you can find us on Facebook <laughs> at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the common good and wherever it is you get podcasts. If you've been thinking, hmm, I wonder if it would help these guys out if I subscribe and then rate and then review their podcast. Well, let me put your suspicions to rest. Yes, that would help. That would help a whole lot and we'd be really grateful for that. You could also share the Facebook page. Uh, All of that does help us out. It's also a great place to interact with us and you can send us messages if you have ideas for shows. You can even review the Facebook page. Uh, what I'm really saying is every little bit helps. And we know a lot of people are looking for, um, podcast suggestions and ways to engage with the world. And, uh, we would be honored if you found us to be that place. And before we share some good news, Brian, why don't you tell us some more good news about what the station is doing? That's right. During this coronavirus pandemic, we know that so many businesses out there have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we also know that there are some of you business owners out there that are doing your best to stay open and serve the public as best you can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. And here's what I'm excited about. It's totally free. There's no catch. You're not signing up for like a year's worth of advertising or anything like that. It's totally free. Our gift to you. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Really well done, Brian. Just got to... Got to say it out loud. That was a great read. Um, I was careful how, how much I emphasize slash this time after yesterday. So <laughs> careful about that. Yeah, that's, I imagine you lounging on your bed with a robe has helped you mellow a little bit. And uh, <laughs> I, I imagine that's, that's to blame. All right, so we've mentioned this website before. I'm just going to keep mentioning it because I love it. They're not paying us to do this, but uh, goodnewsnetwork.org. Just like it's good for your soul. Go to goodnewsnetwork.org for 10 minutes a day and see if it doesn't lower your anxiety a little bit. Uh, I picked four stories from Good News Network that just sort of warmed my heart and we wanted to share them with you. We don't have any hot takes. There's not going to be any mic drops. There's no philosophical or existential observation about these stories. We just wanted to send some good news into the ether in the hopes that they encourage you. So, uh, Brian, I'm going to let you just choose which of the four you want to go with first. All right, I'm going to start with this one. Family cheers up neighborhood by spending six hours coloring each brick of their house with rainbow chalk. And you got to see the pictures of this one. It says, as a means of cheering up their neighbors in lockdown, this English family spent six hours coloring in every brick of their home with chalk to create a rainbow house. The Taylor family from Wellington, Somerset, used dozens of sticks of jumbo chalk in order to decorate the front wall of their red brick terraced house. Uh, And so they did it. They all colored it together and it stands out and they just did it uh, to make people happy. What a great idea. I love it. Makes me so happy. All right. Here's the next one. This one's more just sort of a wow story. Uh, Twitter founder Jack Dorsey just pledged $1 billion, that's right, with a B, $1 billion, 28% of his net worth to COVID-19 relief efforts. Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, which is actually not a name that I knew at all, um, also the founder of the Square Payment Platform. So this dude is doing all right. 
He's yep. announced that he's donating $1 billion to COVID-19 response and relief efforts. The financial commitment, which represents a whopping 28% of his net worth, which will be reportedly funded by the tech entrepreneur's Square shares. Dorsey wrote in a Twitter post that he now plans on selling his Square equity since he currently owns more shares in Square than Twitter, and he hopes to reduce the impact of the donation by selling them over an extended period of time. I just think, wait, way to go, man. And, I, and every, obviously, every little bit helps, but every once in a while... Like, don't you get like a little, a little snarky when you're like mega billionaire pledges $2,000 and you're like, come on, man. (laughs) I saw a funny joke somebody made about this. If you know Twitter at all, how they don't have an edit button. Someone said he actually meant to write $1 million, but he couldn't edit his tweet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be a tweet worth spell checking before you actually post. Uh, next one, a man uses his savings to fill up gas tanks for dozens of nurses heading to nearby hospital. Love a it. compassionate Michigan man, it's your home state, a compassionate Michigan man is being praised for using his savings to buy gas for nurses who are fighting the coronavirus outbreaks. Last week, Alan Marshall stood on the corner of the Exxon gas station near the Detroit Medical Center holding a sign that read free gas for nurses. Marshall ended up spending $900 of his own money to fill the tanks of between 50 to 80 vehicles that belonged to medical workers on the hospital's front lines. Although Marshall had originally been saving the money to buy himself a knife sharpening tool, he felt inspired to do something nice for the local hospital staffers after dropping his wife, who's essential worker, off at her shift with Blue Cross Blue Shield. He wrote, I just love them and I want them to know that. After he ran out of money, Marshall continued to stand at the intersection with a new sign that simply read, thank you for all you do. However, the story of Marshall's good deeds does not end there. A woman who was identified only as Elena caught word of Marshall's labor of love and contributed another $200 of her own money to the cause. What a cool idea. And I think you see a lot of this kind of pay it forward, like people going, you're doing that. I'm going to now help with that, too. Uh, What a great story. What a great story. Well, and that's, and I know that like, I mean, people listening will have varying different feelings about the amount, $900, but I, my guess is a lot of people will be thinking like, oh, I, I got that I could spend like just to bless my neighborhood or bless my community. That's what I love about, he didn't, wasn't some big fanfare, some big press release. It was like, no, this is just a way that I'm going to give back. And I, uh, I think that's really beautiful. This last one is like the kind of thing that I would never even think about. But the headline simply says college student has been sewing free face masks for communicating with hearing impaired folks. So mm. you've got to see the photo. It's this, uh, it's the picture of a, one of those masks, but over the mouth, it's uh, a clear material so that somebody can still, who's hearing impaired can still lip read or whatnot. The wow. college student has been going above and beyond the call of duty to protect people who are deaf or hard of hearing from risking exposure to COVID-19 since the world has been struggling to cope with N95 face mask shortages 21-year-old Ashley Lawrence has been troubled by how the face masks might prevent people with hearing disabilities from communicating. Because American Sign Language speakers rely heavily on lip reading for grammar, face masks could obscure up to half of a person's message. Lawrence, who studies education for the deaf and hard of hearing at Eastern Kentucky University, has been conducting her schooling at home due to the novel coronavirus outbreak, so she resolved to use her free time in quarantine to make face masks for sign language speakers. I love the vision behind this idea and it like fits squarely in the category of things that I would like never think to do. Never. Like you look at it and you go, that makes all the sense in the world. It's just like a window into the mat. Like 
to the, so they can see their lips. Uh, but man, uh, you've got to have a really heart for people to want to just do that. And uh, I love these stories. Man, I'm really glad that you found us the Good News Network because it's everything. We get it. We get it. Most of the stuff out there is bad news right now. And, but because of that, uh, you see this outpouring of like what John Krasinski is doing, the uh, Jim from the office with his uh, some good news. And, uh, and now to read the Good News Network, like it is, it puts a little bounce in your step going, okay, people are doing some really good stuff in the midst of really bad times. Well, let me just add to this last one, too, because it goes on to talk about how she launched a GoFundMe campaign, and she raised over $3,000 in just two days, and she's also looking to launch an official Facebook page. She's also looking to post on YouTube DIY instructional videos so other people can make the videos or they can make the masks to help people, and then the article ends like this. Until then, people can request a set of free masks from Lawrence by emailing her at dhhmaskproject at gmail.com. That's dhhmaskproject at gmail.com. We've posted all four of these good news stories on our Facebook page. So if you want to read them, share them with a friend, just honestly spend some, some time on the website. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in some of the tips for like mental health and wellness. I think this fits in that category too. Like yeah. it's one thing to be informed and stay up on, you know, what we might deem the bad news or the hard news. I think it's equally important to like our heart and soul to make it a habit, consume some good news every once in a while. Cause I think, uh, I think we all need it, which speaking of good news, <laughs> good segue. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know that it is. We're going to wrap up the show with what is neutral at best. It's interweb insanity stories. We have not read sound effects. We have not heard. We're going to, we're going to land this plane just with a little bit of laughter here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, hello there, cats and kittens. Uh, that music can mean only one thing. It is the end of the show. And for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, Brian Fromm and I have continued to agree to do this segment. It's interweb insanity, stories we have not read, and then sound effects we have not heard. That We just sort of dive in willy-nilly and uh plenty of you have told us that that was foolish we have heard your cries and we have ignored them uh before we do that though a quick word about thriving thriving financial as many of you know it's a fortune 500 non-for-profit it's been around for over 100 years i've been a member for a long time can't recommend them enough but if you're looking for maybe a career change this could be a really great fit. You can go to thrivent.com slash careers or just simply call 630-598-2128. If you're listening, 
and you want to be your own boss or you got an entrepreneurial drive or you just like coming alongside people and helping them, especially with uh, financial decisions, go to thrivent.com slash careers or call 630-598-2128. And now on to the insanity. Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? First one's out of Louisiana. New Orleans father and son invent social distancing circle. (laughs) You got to see the picture. (laughs) A New Orleans father and son created a viral video showing off their coronavirus inspired invention, a social distancing circle to keep others at bay. TikTok user I'm Patman said he and his dad, who goes by Uncle Bubblegum on the video sharing site, (laughs) decided to create the circles as a means of highlighting the importance of social distancing. It's a six-foot social distance circle, the son told uh, WGNO-TV, with his father clarifying that it has a 12-foot diameter. It's comprised of a lot of pipes and a tarp. We stood in the middle, and around it was everybody on the outside, basically. The pair said they took their invention to the park where confused onlookers asked if they were attempting to fly a giant kite or erect an unusual trampoline. All right, next one's out of India. Ready for this? Man plays dead to circumvent coronavirus lockdown. Wow. You've probably seen people hiding in the bushes and wearing all kinds of silly disguises in order to go outside without being stopped by police. But now you can add faking death to the list of things people have resorted to in order to circumvent the coronavirus lockdown. Just like Italy, India imposed nationwide lockdown from last Wednesday to fight the spread of the coronavirus pandemic, which left many citizens stranded hundreds of kilometers or miles away from home with no way to return. That was the case of Hakim Dean, a 70-year-old village a villager from Poonch in India's disputed Kashmir region. He was being treated for a minor head injury at a hospital in Jammu, a few hundred kilometers away from home, when the lockdown was enforced and he started looking for ways to get back. When an ambulance driver suggested that he play dead in order to get past the checkpoints, he jumped at the opportunity. Playing possum is what we do. We die so that we live. Hey, you do what you got to do, right? I just love that an ambulance driver was the one who suggested it. Yeah, he's like, play dead, play dead. Yeah, uh, this, this will totally work. Next one's out of the UK. Major fire service response after someone had a barbecue on the 34th floor of the Beetham Tower. Fire mm-hmm. crews were fo- forced to launch a major response to Beetham Tower tonight because of barbecue on the 34th floor. The Manchester Evening News saw at least seven fire engines outside the Dean's Gate skyscraper. The building had not been evacuated and the call-out appeared to be a false alarm. A spokesman said it was an alarm caused by somebody having a barbecue on the 34th floor. Advice was given to the occupier and crews are now heading out. Last week, the service revealed the number of nuisance fires they've been called out to has doubled in the first week of the government's orders to stay home. Oh, there'll be a hot in the old town tonight. Oh, UK, what are you UK. doing? All right, on New York, UFC getting private island to hold weekly fights amid coronavirus crisis. Holy cow. Not only is UFC 249 set to happen on April 19th, but Dana White says he is getting a private island so he can run fights every week, including with international fighters who currently cannot enter the U.S. because of travel restrictions. I'm a day or two away from securing a private island. File that under sentences I've never said. I have a (laughs) private island that I've secured. The UFC president told TMZ, we're getting the infrastructure put in now. So I'm going to start doing the international fights, too, with international fighters. I won't be able to get international fighters, all of them, into the U.S., so I have a private island. I feel like he's just trying to say the phrase private island a bunch. Exactly, exactly. Uh, 
But so as of April 18th, the UFC is back up and running. Well, isn't that special? All right. Our last one is out of New Zealand. New Zealand Prime Minister dubs Easter Bunny Tooth Fairy Essential Workers. Uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, Ardern took a moment during a media briefing on the country's response to COVID-19 pandemic to reassure children that the Easter Bunny and Tooth Fairy are considered essential workers. Uh, Ardern said uh, during her Monday media briefing that the mythical figures are considered essential workers in New Zealand, which has been on lockdown for the past two weeks. You'll be pleased to know that we do consider both the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny to be essential workers Uh, She said, but as you can imagine at this time, they're going to be potentially quite busy at home with their family. Uh, And so I say to the children of New Zealand, if Easter Bunny doesn't make it to your household, we have to understand it's a bit difficult at the moment for the bunny to get everywhere. And no bunny knows Easter better than him. Did I ever tell you when I was a kid, my parents, when they sat me down to tell me that the uh, tooth fairy didn't exist, they then told me that tooth angels existed. And I believed that for like another two years. (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) i remember thinking wow there's angels in the bible so that makes perfect sense i of course was i was devastated when i found out the real news anywho uh we like ending with some laughs at the very least to hopefully give you just a bright spot in your day brian Fromm and i again do take this responsibility immensely serious and we're very very grateful for all of you who have sent your words of encouragement and your words of hope and your words of love Uh, We uh, hope to continue to bring all sorts of light into your life. And uh, we'll do so again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Ian Simpkins. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 